0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast, my prayer for the message you hear today, that it will inspire you and encourage you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, please check us out at CBC Madera, both on Facebook and Instagram, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church. Thanks for listening. So we have if you've been reading the, the Bible with us through the year, uh, we are in the book of Numbers, and I spoke about Numbers, uh, the book of Numbers, last week, and we're still in this book. And one of the sections that we read earlier in the week um, is the section that I want to focus on this morning and kind of go a little bit deeper in. And uh, before we do that, I want to address something that we see in the church. And it's a, it's a, tup, a touchy issue and subject uh, for a lot of us, but it's something that I've seen, especially amongst uh, church leaders who seem to say one thing and do another. Leaders who abuse their positions of authority in the church and take advantage of people and their trust. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that or been a part of a church where you've experienced that. Maybe you've seen Christians who preach one thing and secretly do the opposite behind closed doors, all the while justifying their actions and feeling no guilt or remorse because of it. And I've been... Wondering to myself, how is it possible for people who call themselves followers of Jesus, people who've been chosen by God, even especially in church leadership, to abuse their positions in the church or to live in such a way that creates a double standard in their lives. I've been asking myself this question for some time now after seeing leader after leader fall and be exposed for their sin and their abusive behavior. I don't know if you know any of these leaders, these high caliber, well, uh, world-renowned leaders, leaders like Robbie Zechariah. I don't know if you know that name or not, world-renowned apologist. I don't know if you know pastors uh, named Carl Lentz, I don't know if you know their names. These leaders who are leading worldwide ministries and uh, doing things that we would consider phenomenal things for God, who have been exposed for for sin that they 've been committing in their lives, not not small sins, not casual sins, sins that have been planned out and calculated, moral sins that they that they would take advantage of people, abuse their trust for their own gratification and pleasure and i 've read these stories recently in this last year, and they 're heartbreaking for me the heartbreaking for a lot of people who 've been um, uh, Who've been exposed or connected to those ministries, then to find out that these men had been lying about who they are and what they're doing, and it's it's disturbing. And I know that there are there are churches and there are pastors who uh, have justified their actions because of their position and their service to God. And I ask myself, how can this be, and why does it happen so often? Why is this happening? I'm sure if you've been in the church for any time at all, you've seen or heard or experienced abusive behavior in the church among leaders and even supposedly mature Christians who've been exposed for horrendous acts of sin and deception. And it ought not be. It should not be this way. And yet we've seen it. And with these questions in my mind, I read through Numbers chapter 16, and it was as if God highlighted to me why these things take place. And how they begin in people that he has chosen. So let's address this hypocrisy that comes, uh, where it comes from, and see how it can be corrected in us. Would you turn to Numbers chapter 16, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read together. Verse 1 says this, Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dothan, and Abraham, the sons of Eliab, and An, the son of Paleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs, leaders of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Verse 4 says, Then Moses heard it. He fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his assembly, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray that, God, as we submit our hearts, our hearts to your will and to your word, I pray, God, that you would speak to us. God, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to understand what you have for us. And I pray, God, that as we speak about this sensitive subject that perhaps some of us have been exposed to directly, I pray, God, that there would be healing in the house today. And that, God, that this word would serve as a warning to anyone God, who would rebel against your authority. Help us, Jesus, to submit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give some context about Korah and his rebellion. The heading of this chapter says Korah's rebellion. And let's talk about who Korah was. Korah was a part of the tribe of Levi, a tribe that God had entrusted to represent him and serve him and the people of God. And although he wasn't part of the priestly family of Aaron, because God had established Aaron and his family to be the high priest over the entire nation of Israel, Korah was a part of the, uh, his family was entrusted to carry the holy things of God that were in the, in the temple. As the, the priests, the high priests, the family would walk in and cover those things, then Korah's family would go in and they would carry these artifacts, these holy things. As they traveled throughout the wilderness and they were people entrusted by God to represent him in the wilderness. And at this point, the people of God had been two years in their 40 year sentence. Last week we talked about the spies who went into the land And came back and gave a negative report. Says it's not going to happen. We can't do it. They didn't believe God. They did not obey God. They didn't trust God. And because of that God said. For the next 40 years you're going to wander in the wilderness. Until this generation who disobeys me dies off. And the next generation is going to inherit the promise. They're two years into that. And two years into this sentence. Now Korah and these other men. Start to rise up and they begin to rebel. Against the authority of Moses. And Aaron. So Korah. An appointed leader and minister of God along with other men of the tribe of Reuben gathered together 250 other leaders, other well-renowned men in the nation of Israel to revolt against Moses and Aaron. And what is their first argument against Moses and Aaron? They say, we're all holy. We're all holy people. We can all hear from God. We can all uh, stand in that place. So why do you exalt yourself above us? You're not just the only one. You're not the only way. All of us can hear. We all have a way to get to God. They began to say this. It says, who says you're the only one who can hear? Who says you're the only one who represents God? See, the first thing that we see that fuels their rebellion against God's anointed, Moses and Aaron, is this. If you're taking notes, first point is this. It's pride and self-deception pride and self-deception that fuels rebellion against God's anointed. So Moses tells these men to grab some censers and fill them with incense before the Lord and allow the Lord to choose who he will pick. And Moses said, look, you want to be in the priesthood? You want to be the high priest? You want to be the one? Then do what the priests do and burn incense before the Lord. As we're talking about this question, how is it possible for believers, especially leaders in the church, to say one thing and do another and not just like commit mistakes and small sins that need to be forgiven like all of us do, we all have those things, but, but to commit grievous errors and sin and planned out and calculated sins against God and take, a, a, abuse people and Take advantage of people for their own benefit. How does that happen? The first step is this. It's their own pride in themselves and their own self-deception. Making themselves think that they are greater than they actually are. This is what Korah did. He says, we're all holy. We're all, look, yeah, we, we, we can hear from God too. We, we're, we're elevated above this. So we have the right. You hear church leaders who elevate themselves and put themselves on pedestals and and people put them, put them on pedestals and, and they they look and they're man that's the that's the holy man. They they treat treat leaders like they're gods and they accept it. It's pride and own self-deception that leads them into rebellion against God's anointed. Verse 8 says this: Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing that you have that for you that God that the God of Israel who separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that you that he has brought you near to him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. He's saying, is it, is it not good enough that God has called you, that he has anointed you, that he has brought you in to be a servant to him and to people? Is it not good enough for you? He says, That you would seek the priesthood also, verse 11. Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. See, Moses is calling out the hypocrisy of these leaders. Saying God called you to himself. He drew you near to him to serve him and the people. And you thought that that action of being called gave you the right to do whatever you wanted. See, this is where I I see a lot of people in the church and others who think because they are called, it gives them the right to do whatever they want. I'm gifted. I'm talented. I'm charismatic. People look up to me. So I've been called. God's hands on me. I can do whatever I want to whoever I want. And it's a lie. And this is the rebellion that we see in Scripture See, in essence, Korah and these other men said to themselves, God made us holy, so whatever we do is holy. Whatever we do is blessed. And that excuse is still happening today among church leaders and Christians all over the world and all over the place. It happens, and it should not happen. Because they're believing a lie, and because of pride in their own abilities, they are deceived. And here's the irony of this, that when they claim that we're all holy... The irony is the only way that they could claim to be holy was because of the actions of the high priest that they were revolting against. They revolted against Aaron, the high priest, and say, we want to tear you down and take your place because we're holy. But they were only holy because of the sacrifice Aaron made on their behalf. They revolted against the very one who gave them the ability to claim that they were holy in the first place. Isn't that ironic? See, without Aaron as their high priest, they had no covering of holiness. They had no forgiveness of sin. They had been walking really in rebellion since they left Egypt, and their pride clouded their understanding of what was really going on. The fact is that without Moses and Aaron, they would still be in slavery and they would still not have their sins forgiven. How did this happen? How does this take place? The first thing is this. It started when they began, number two, when they began to reject the authority of God's anointed one. See, Korah began to reject the ones who God had chosen, anointed, and put in that place of authority over them. For them, the anointed ones were Moses and Aaron. Moses was the liberator and the leader of Israel who led them out of slavery and out of bondage into freedom. Aaron was the chosen high priest of Israel, the one who would make the sacrifices of the atonement for their sin. And as we're relating it to our questions now and and asking the question how does it happen that people who call themselves followers of Jesus and have but in places of leadership, how is it that they live double, uh, uh, double lives where they do one thing and, do, and, and, and say one thing and do another in private and justify themselves? How is that possible? And I would say that they have rejected the authority of God's anointed one. Who is the anointing, anointed one for us? Who is the one chosen by God? I think this is where they get confused because I've heard pastors say this and I've heard leaders and I've heard stories of of people who've come out of abusive uh, church behaviors who their pastors use this as an excuse. They called themselves the anointed one. They use verses like this out of 1 Chronicles 16. Touch not the Lord's anointed. You ever heard that? And and it's been applied to a, a pastor or a leader. Hey, I'm the anointed one here. You don't talk about me. You don't try to judge me. You don't try to correct me in any way. I can do what I want because I'm the Lord's anointed. That's a lie from the pit of Satan. When even David wrote that as a song in 1 Chronicles, he was saying it as a warning to the enemies of the, the nations that would attra- attack the people of God. And he said, don't attack those anointed by God. He was saying it for, uh, against the enemies of God, but it was never used as, a, uh, as an excuse to allow people to get away with sin just because they're anointed by God or they're gifted by God or they're called into places of leadership. It was never a, a, an excuse for them to, uh, just forget it. We can't call it out. We can't do anything about it because they're the anointed. It's a lie. Because the anointed one that, that, uh, that we see here is speaking about Jesus. And although I am... I believe in honoring and respecting those who are in spiritual authority over us and allowing our lives to come under the authority of their teaching or their lives. It does not mean that we should allow them to live unchecked, to allow them to walk in sin because of their position they hold. Can I get an amen? And that's how I've seen it used and how I've seen it abuse people and people walk in hypocrisy and lies. And self deception. See, Moses and Aaron, they were examples of the anointed that we know today Jesus. Moses, the one, the liberator from slavery, Jesus is our liberator from sin. Aaron, our high priest, or the high priest who made atonement and offered a sacrifice to cover the people's sin, Jesus, our high priest, who gave his life, spilled his blood for us so that we could be forgiven of our sin. So Korah's rebellion against the authority that was given, uh, to, the, uh, given to Moses and Aaron represents uh, when people are living double lives, it represents that we have rejected the authority of Jesus over our lives. It's the only way that we can walk in rebellion and still think that we're okay with God. So what happens to Korah and the rebels, Moses says in this story, in chapter 16, look, if these men live long lives and not die natural deaths and nothing crazy happens to them, then we'll understand that I was not the right leader for this position. But if something crazy happens, like the ground splits open, it swallows them whole, then we'll know that they had rejected their God and despised God. And immediately what happens the ground splits open and swallows them whole. And their whole tents and their families are swallowed up in the ground. And this story of Korah actually acts as a warning to anyone who would rebel against the authority that God has placed. And this is the authority that God has placed, Jesus. So let it serve, to, uh, serve us as a warning to anyone that would seek to rebel against the authority of Jesus in our lives. And still call ourselves a Christian and try to elevate ourselves above the word of God. That if we continue in our sin, we'll be swallowed up in it. And we'll lose everything that we thought we were working so hard for. Let it be a warning to us. That if we reject the authority of God's word. And we elevate ourselves above his, his, his word. Then we run the risk of rebelling against the God we say we serve. See, sometimes it's a challenge for us when we talk about God's Word and the authority of God's Word because sometimes we read Scripture and it says things that we don't like and that we want to disagree with. But as we, if, if we go down that path of saying, ah, it doesn't feel right for me, I choose not to, not to live by that. I choose to ignore that. I choose not to address that. If we do that and continue to do that, then we're usurping the authority of Christ in our lives. And we are saying that our feelings, our desires, our opinions are higher than the authority of Scripture in our lives. And to do that is to be in rebellion against the one that God has chosen to lead us. If we do that, we'll be swallowed up on our own pride and self-deception. And this is where we see this abuse happening in churches. Leaders who say, I can do what I want. Scripture says, don't do it, but I'm I'm holy. I'm anointed. I can do what I want to. And it brings rebellion in their hearts to the place where they're deceived and they're prideful and it leads them in the wrong direction. Now, reading this story of Korah's rebellion, you would think that it would solve the rebellion issue in the camp, but we don't see that. What we see is in verse 41, it says that the next day, the very next day, the ground opens up and swallows people. I think I'd give it a couple days. You know what I mean? Like I just saw some guy who said he should be the leader and the other, our, our other leader was like, hey, if I should be the leader and you shouldn't, the ground will swallow you up and then it happens. I'd be like, you know what, I'm gonna take a week off. <laughs> that was pretty heavy. <laughs> I think I'm going to give it some time. No, it says the next day, the people, the whole congregation of people confront Moses and Aaron. Again, God's anointed. They grumble against him and said, you killed the people of the Lord. You killed the people. See, when we forget who the anointed one is, when we forget that Jesus has all the authority, that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is the one who gets to make the decisions about what's right and wrong, when we forget that, then, it, then we put our trust in corruptible people and it confuses us and it leads us in the wrong direction. We start defending people's actions instead of believing God's word. This happens all the time. We see it in the world. We see it where people, we, we know people who are living in sin, but we're like, but they're so nice. They're nice people. They're good people. And we make excuse for when God says what they're doing is wrong, they should not be doing it. It's going to lead them to destruction. We get confused because we start putting our faith and trust in corruptible people instead of in the incorruptible God. And this happens when leaders, leaders are doing things and And they should be called out for it. It should be addressed and, and it should be confronted. And yet people make excuses and they come to their defense. And we put our trust in the wrong place. And we don't allow the word of God to be our standard and to be the authority over our lives. And this is what happened in this section. You killed the people. You killed the people. No, it was Korah and his rebellion that killed him. He received the judgment that he deserved. And verse 42 says, When the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, which means the presence of God had fallen on it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I might consume them in a moment. What was God saying? It's time for their judgment. They've continued to rebel. I tried to stop their rebellion. By taking out those that were leading him in the wrong direction, but they're believing a lie, so I'm gonna judge them now. Because God is just and He has to judge sin. He can't allow sin to go unpunished. It has to be punished because He's a righteous God and a just God. And we wouldn't want a God who was unjust and unrighteous. We wouldn't want Him. Just like we wouldn't want an unjust judge. If somebody commits murder, is a serial killer, and the judge is like, you know what? Who am I to judge? You are! You're the judge. We would want a judge who is just in the law, who follows the law. So God says, I am just. I have to punish sin. And So in this moment, he says, I'm going to punish them." But what does Moses and Aaron do? This is powerful because it's a picture of what Christ does for us. As God says, I'm I'm going to have to judge this sin. It says Moses and Aaron fell on their faces to protect those who were rebelling against them. Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire on it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord and the plague has begun. See, our rebellion against Christ as our authority and leader only leads to judgment and the plague of sin and death in our lives. If we do not submit to the authority of God and his word and his place over us, it leads us to destruction, not life. But even in our rebellion, what do we see Jesus do? Because Moses and Aaron are the foreshadowing of Christ to come. And what do we see Jesus do? We see it in their example. So Aaron took it as Moses said, and he ran into the midst of the assembly, and behold, the plague had already begun in the people. People were dying quickly. And he put it on, uh, he put on the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. The Bible says quickly in that moment, already 14,000 people had died. And yet Aaron ran and stood between the dead and the living to stop the plague from killing any more people. These same people who are saying that you should not be our leader. You should not be our high priest. You should not be the one in authority over us. And yet he didn't get hurt or jealous. He He didn't get offended. He ran to protect their lives. This is what Jesus did for us at the cross. Jesus, our high priest, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus our great high priest. He ran to us to stop the plague of sin and death, even in the middle of our rebellion against him. I love the verse, we've said it before, that says that even while we were enemies of God, he died for us. Even while we were still in our sin, he died for us. Even while we were in our full rebellion against Jesus, he died for us. He stepped in between death and life for us. So what does that tell us? That we still have hope. Even if we're living in rebellion. Even if we're, if we're failing to submit to the authority of Christ and his word in our life. We still have hope today to submit to his authority. But this word also serves as a warning to anybody who would be in leadership or anybody who would be uh, leading others that it's not about you. It's always about Jesus. It's not about how good you think you are or how high you want to be elevated above others. Now we're all sinners, all lost, all undone. Only Jesus is holy. Only Jesus is the anointed one. And we submit to him. Let it serve as a warning for any of us who would rebel against God and reject Jesus as our master and our savior and say, if Jesus said it, I believe it. If he said it, I believe it. There's the book, the book of Jude, which is a, really just one chapter, just a letter. But in there, Jude writes about leaders that we are seeing today who reject Christ and seek to deceive people for their own gratification verse 4 says this uh, in jude for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our god into sensuality and deny our only master and lord jesus christ what are they doing they they think that grace allows them to do whatever they want god has saved me god has set me free i'm now holy I can live like hell. And it's a lie. You can't do that. And yet, he's saying here, there are leaders who think that and they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. What does that mean? So that they can have their own desires. They can live whatever, however they want to and justify it and feel no remorse or no guilt, no shame. And they deny Jesus as the authority of their lives. It literally says that, that they reject his authority and they rely on their own dreams to lead them. Meaning they, lie, they rely on their own desire or their own ambition to lead them and think that they're walking in the right direction. And all the while, they're deceiving people, uh, using people, abusing people for their own benefit. And it happens because they reject Jesus as their master and as their Lord, even when they say that they are followers. He goes on to say in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain in Balaam's error, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. What is he saying? The error, the way of Cain was jealousy. He hated his brother Abel. He was jealous of him, so he killed him. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain in Balaam's error. We read about that just a couple, maybe last week. Where for the sake of gain, he, he disobeyed the voice of God. And they perished in Korah's rebellion because... Korah wanted, because of pride and self-deception, they wanted to be higher than they actually were. Jealousy, greed, and rebellion. Another part of Scripture says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All of these things will destroy us every time if we give in to them. So how do we get to the place where we're living in rebellion to God and still think that we're in right relationship with Him when we usurp the authority of Christ in our lives? And when we say that we are Christian, but only in name only, our our lives do not look any different. We do not allow the word of God to transform us and to conform our minds to his. We do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. And we come here on Sunday and we think, I'm all right. Because I got goosebumps during worship. Because someone asked me how I'm doing, and I said, blessed and highly favored, even though that's a dirty lie. And we keep doing these things and we think, I'm right with God, I'm right with God, I'm covered, he's made me holy. And God's saying, you don't listen to me, you don't obey my commands. Jesus said, if, if you want to be a part of my sheep, you want to be a part of my family, obey my voice. Obey my commands. And some of us don't do it because we don't want to, because we don't know his commands, because we haven't read his scripture and no one's told us what he says, or we don't believe it we say ah that's that's for the past that's that's open to interpretation we don't we don't really know if that has the authority like it did back then it's different now we're different people we're more sophisticated we're we're in a different place in society all that is is, is rejecting the authority of scripture over our lives to give us excuse to live however we want to and it can't be done we're living in rebellion So what do we need to do to keep ourselves from hypocrisy, from deceiving ourselves? That's the question we should all be asking. How do I make sure I don't do this? How do I make sure as a pastor, how do you make sure as leaders? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, people are watching your life to see if you're actually going to live the way you say you do. So the question we should all be asking is, how do I make sure I don't live like this? I don't want to live a double life. We're in, in front of, on Sundays, I present myself one way, but Monday through, through Saturday, I'm living a whole nother life. How do I make sure I don't live like this? Because church, we can't live like that. We cannot do it. God will not put up with it forever. We need to be a people who say we love Jesus, we love his word, and we follow it. No matter if it's challenging or difficult or unpopular or it makes us unliked, or people call us names because we stand on the authority of Scripture. We cannot compromise His word because it makes us uncomfortable or because our feelings or our desires want us to do something else. So the question we have to ask is, then how do I make sure that I don't live a double standard, a double life, and I don't live in hypocrisy, even to the place where I deceive ourselves. Because the, the first person you lie to the most is yourself. Come on, I do it all the time. I look, I, get, I look in the mirror, I say, man, I look good in this shirt. You all know I don't look good in that shirt, but I tell myself, <laughs> I look good. Today might have been one of those days. Come on, we, we, we lie to ourselves so often sometimes, but spiritually, we can do that, and we justify our actions and justify ourselves. You ever notice how you're always right? That's a problem. So how do we make sure we don't deceive ourselves and in in our own deception, we begin to rebel against the very one we say we follow? How do we do it? Jesus tells us in John chapter 15. He says this in verse four. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. I want Jesus to live in me. I want to abide in Jesus. I want to be a part of him. I want him to be a part of me. He says, abide in me and I in you. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's not about the branches. It's about the vine. The life is in the vine. The health of the vine determines the health of the branches. And the fruit that they bear. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. You can't do anything apart from him. And just because people do some things and they think, oh, that's successful. Oh, they're they're a success. And yet they could be deceiving themselves, lying to themselves, saying their own pride, I've made myself great. And in those moments, they begin to not abide in the vine. If anyone does not abide in me, verse 6, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I want to live my life. And I want to be a part of Jesus. I want to abide in him. And I have to trust in his authority and in his word, no matter how unpopular or difficult it may be. Because if I don't, I could run in error of making it about myself and thinking I'm greater than I am. That's what Korah did. We're all holy. We all can hear from God. And you get to that place where you even begin to question the authority of Jesus. How can Jesus be the only way, the only truth, the only life? There's got to be other ways. There's millions of people, billions of peoples, and all kinds of different religions. How could I say that Jesus is the only way? Because his word says so. Because it's his authority I stand on. He is the anointed one. He is the chosen one. Not me. Not my opinion. Not my thoughts. Not your thoughts. His. His and I submit my life to his. So I don't seek my own glory. I don't seek my own fame. I don't seek to be recognized. I seek after Jesus. I seek after Jesus. And that's what we want to do today. So if you're struggling in any of these things, jealousy, envy, greed, pride, maybe there's something that you read in Scripture and you're like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. You can choose to ignore it and begin the, the, uh, down the path of rebellion against the authority of God's word. Or you can say, no matter how challenging it is for me to read this, I have to believe it and submit my life to his authority. So if you're wrestling today, we need to confess those things, humble ourselves, and repent. Before we continue to deceive ourselves any further talk about these men that I named earlier and it breaks my heart to see what kind of deception they led themselves down and how they, they gave up on everything that God had called them to because they wanted to fulfill their own gratification and desires. But I want to be a person who submits my life to Jesus. And I want to say this, that we need to be reminded there are wolves in sheep's clothing that have, been, that have been wounding and hurting the people of God. And if you're here this morning, you've been wounded or hurt by a leader because of their pride and rebellion against God, I want to say from the heart of God that I'm truly sorry. I'm sorry for what they've done, what they did to you, the abuse you suffered because of prideful men and women who rebelled against the word of God and did not live by it and use it as a tool to manipulate and abuse. It should never happen. I also want to say this, that our hope is not in these people, these corruptible men and women, but our hope is in Christ. And we look to him. We look to Jesus. We put our hope in Jesus, who is the only one who has the ability to stand between us and judgment. So let's trust him today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel to hear past episodes. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate it and share it with your friends. It helps us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cvcmadera.churchcenter.com.